If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Listeners, in this episode, we have an incredible conversation with Bobby Herrera, the author of The Gift of Struggle. Now, I think many listeners probably know that I gift a lot of books. In fact, almost every year when I sit down and do my taxes with my accountant, my accountant in the in the like exit interview with me, she's always like, Toph, you know, you seem to spend a lot of money buying books for people who are clients and prospective clients. And I say, yeah, it's because I read a lot of books and I have some favorites. And, and let me just say, I really like to give books away. And so it's funny because almost every year my accountant will say, okay, the expenses on your consulting practice, personnel is the most, and then um, office expenses are the third, and then, sorry, the second, and then the podcast is the third, and then buying books for people is your fourth largest expense off. So I have to share with you, I have read Bobby's book, The Gift of Struggle, and I have also listened to it on Audible. And so good for Amazon and Audible because now I have one more book that I'm probably going to be buying a lot for people over the next year because this book is off the chain incredible. In this book, Bobby shares a little bit about growing up and where he came from. I I don't want to steal his thunder by sharing that with you now, but shares a little bit about what it was like growing up and what he came through and what his life was like and how he really learned the value of the gift of struggle. And I'll share with you also just full disclosure, when I first heard uh, about the book and heard an interview with Bobby on another podcast, my very first reaction was gift of struggle. That sounds like a book written by by someone who has a lot of privilege. And you're going to be really, really curious to hear Bobby's story because it's not really coming from the place where, honestly, my knee-jerk, 
uh, gut assumption was completely and totally wrong. Now, let me also share with you, though, Bobby has done incredible work in his life as a leader and as a manager, and he's also started a half-billion-dollar HR services company known as the Populist Group. And so, really, part of what he talks about is how that gift of struggle has helped him achieve some of the things that he has achieved in his life. Hey, Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Hey, uh, Healthy Underdog, Dolph, and uh, grateful for the kind words. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Now, I know that you have a story that you open your book with, because again, I've read it and I've heard it, about a boy on a bus. The bus story, it's a marker moment for me, Dolph. Um, you know, when I was 17, my brother and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game. And along the way, we stopped for dinner. You know, imagine a bus full of players. We're all excited, having a great time, celebrating a big win. And as we were approaching this stop, I started getting a pit in my stomach because I knew, I knew that it, uh, the celebration was going to stop for me shortly. And when the team stopped, everybody unloaded off the bus, except for me and my brother, Ed. And, you know, at that point in my life, you know, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. It's just the way things were. I'm one of 13. I'm number 11. I still eat with my elbows on the table. Uh, and, you know, I uh, was very accustomed to staying on that bus. Well, a few moments after the team unloaded, one of the dads to the other players steps on board the bus. And initially he teased me a little bit because my brother Ed had outscored me that night. And then he said something to me that I'll always remember. Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you boys dinner so you can join the rest of the team. Nobody else has to know. All you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid just like you in the future. And I'll never forget how I felt in that moment. You know, at that point, I'm 17. I have no idea what I want to do with my life outside of, you know, wanting having the desire to raise my hand and join the army a year later, which I eventually did. But I remember stepping off the bus that night and I uh, had no idea what I was going to do with my life. But after that moment, Dolph, I knew why. I knew that somehow, some way, I was going to figure out a way to pay forward that kind act to other kids like me who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide. And, you know, that moment uh, changed the way I viewed my story forever. And, you know, up to that point, the only theme in my family's story had been struggle. And, you know, the way he did it in a way was a very powerful call to action because he taught me some really powerful lessons uh, just in that moment of humility. And arguably one of the most important ones that he taught me was that, you know, I could someday do what I call checking the ultimate box. And that is, you know, will my story matter? And I didn't know how, I didn't know what, but I was going to figure out a way to pay forward that kind act. And it uh, had a transformative impact on me. And that started what, you know, eventually became viewing my life differently than I had up to that moment and didn't have a lot of hope up to then. And uh, a lot of negative role models and, 
it just helped me start seeing things differently. And it was a powerful moment that I'll never forget. And part of what I was so struck by, and again, I've read it, I've heard it, and I've heard you on a couple other podcasts. So I've, I've heard it and I was heard it on Audible. Part of what I was so struck by is the graciousness of his offer. And it, and it actually was a change in tone from the way I typically think about it. And that that friend's dad said, if you would allow me to. Mm-hmm. Like, so so it's not like I'm going to do you a favor. It was if, if you would allow me to do this. I was like, wow, what a what a really emotionally intelligent and gracious way to approach it. Yeah, there's, you know, uh, I don't know who said it, but, you know, humility is a secret of the wise. And if you just unpack, his name was Miss, is Mr. Teague. And if you just unpacked his role, you know, there's an interesting backstory to him. And, you know, he was a very successful businessman in the community. And up to that point, my story, the narrative that played for me was that, you know, people like him, they don't see kids like me. And with one small act, not only did he teach me that I was wrong, but he taught me that one of the single most important aspects of leadership is seeing and encouraging potential. And the way that he asked me, and in the manner that he asked me, it empowered me and it brought out what I believe we all possess. And that is that desire to give. And, you know, we're hardwired to give. And he enabled me to make the choice for myself. He had nothing to gain. And, you know, I often, you know, uh, encourage leaders to sit back and ask themselves, you know, hey, do the people that you lead and the people that you're serving, do they feel like you want more for them than from them? And it's from that moment and understanding how he did that, that that came from for me. It's interesting. I've actually thought about that in terms of my own leadership practices after I heard you say that. Uh, you know, do you want more for the people than from the people that you're leading? And, it, and it's powerful when you make that shift. Amen. Amen. Now, I, I know that the gift of struggle kind of hits you again a year later because, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and admittedly, I... I, my sense is I was not in the military. My sense is boot camp's probably hard for everybody. But, you know, you, you mentioned a year later, you raised your hand and you said, okay, I'm in. Yeah, well, you know, struggle is the gift that keeps on giving, pun intended, right? You know, we're, uh, you know we're, we're wired in a way as the human animal. Like, we don't want anything to do with it. But when you really look back at it, like nothing positive ever happens without going through the darkness. It, you know, affliction is telling us something. And something we need to listen to, you know. But I think what you're referring to is uh, the moment three weeks into boot camp for me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm in that mental, physical haze that every soldier that ever raises their hand goes through. And it was late at night, and we're polishing our boots by flashlight. And I recall everyone around me just complaining about the night that had no end and, you know, the morning that was going to start way too soon. And, you know, three weeks in, you've asked yourself, why did I do this? Many times over. And that night was no different. And, you know, I remember as I'm listening to the moaning and groaning around me thinking, you know, I, I've been waking up in the wee hours to work in the fields. I was part of a migrant farm working family. And I remember waking up 
for work just to make ends meet before going to school. And all these lessons that, you know, tasted like vinegar for me up to that point. And as I was listening to the soldiers, I remember thinking to myself, it's like, so I have to wake up at 4.30, like big deal. I've been waking up at five forever. And, you know, I'm going to run, I'm going to get, you know, physically challenged, but I'm not working in the fields hoeing cotton or, you know, pulling onions. And for the first time in my life, I remember thinking, it's like, this isn't so bad. It's like, I got this. And I remember that moment was a turning point for me in how I viewed my story and the struggles that my very modest upbringing had taught me. And some of those things that, you know, up to that point in my life, I um, didn't appreciate a whole lot. And that was a significant turning point for me. And ultimately what, you know, I share is that that was the flap of the butterfly wings per se, that ultimately shaped what I, you know, my simple leadership philosophy. And that is that we all struggle. Every struggle teaches us something. And leadership is about sharing those gifts with others. And that's as simple as, as I believe it gets when you're trying to help people, you know, create the opportunity they want for themselves. Mm, I love that. That That's really incredible. I, I know, fast forward, you know, you've served in the military. You're now um, kind of a rising star in a company. And I remember reading and listening in the book when you talked about there was kind of this demotion that came out of the blue. Yeah, you know, at the time it came out of the blue, but now that I look back with some wiser lenses, not only was it deserved, but it was coming. Uh, I just chose not to see it. But yeah, you know, it was about, uh, I'd say it was about 10 years into my professional career. I'd been blessed with an opportunity where the organization that I was a part of was giving me not only more responsibility than I was ready for, but than I deserved. And um, I was in a, a role where I had some pretty significant responsibility. And I got asked to go to the corporate headquarters. It was a year that was very challenging for the company. And at that, you know, summon per se, I was, I was demoted. And I was told what I call the kind truth. And part of that kind truth was, you know, um, the, the gentleman that handed me that, that gift of demotion at the time said, you know, we don't believe you're a very good business person. And my initial response, Dolph, wasn't positive. I mean, I, I, was, I was angry. I was blaming. I was looking external. But, you know, after I went through that normal wave that we all go through when something like that happens, um, I knew that I had to have the awareness to to look where it matters. And that was inside. And as a result of that, I was able to really reflect and, you know, call on my own humility to make some, not only adjustments, but reach out to some people and finally ask for help. And, you know, there were some, uh, some moments in that story where I was incredibly humbled and I had to learn to do things differently it was a very uncomfortable year, year and a half to follow, but that was a pretty significant time in my professional career where I had to take a couple of steps back to start getting 
a more uh, positive upward projection in my career. And uh, I learned a great deal from that gift of the kind truth of, you know, being told that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And now I can look back and say he was right. It's interesting as, as I was reading and listening to that part of the book, part of what I was really struck by, and I often end up having this conversation with boards as well, that at the time when that demotion first happened, your initial reaction was something along the lines of, what the bleep? Mm -hmm. You hired me, you said, good luck. I've maybe talked to you twice in the last year. And now Mm -hmm. my next conversation, you're like, okay, you're not good enough. And it's interesting because I think that happens a lot where we just kind of assume that, you know, if we drop people in the deep end, they're going to swim. And then we're, then we're baffled when they don't. That's right. And, uh, you know, as I look back on that, on that chapter, um, you know, one of the things that I want to highlight is initially I was looking at their contribution and what I had to learn is, well, I can't control their contribution. I can't control their choices. I can't control what they do or what they don't do. And, like life, I had to focus on, you know, what was my contribution? What did I do? What did I fail to do? And what can I control? And ultimately, that's the lesson in that chapter on focusing on the parts that are in your control, because in the end, regardless of the situation, the struggle, whatever demotion per se, uh, or step back on the mountain you're climbing, you take in the end, uh, as much as you initially want to focus on the entire contribution, you can't. Right. Uh, and that was a hard lesson for me to learn. And it remains to this day because that's how we're wired. Like we initially want to protect ourselves, um, And it takes some time to finally get to that point where you can ask yourself, okay, what was my contribution? What can I learn from it? And, you know, we're human. Um, you know, it's interesting. I learned a fascinating stat recently, Dolph. Um, it was, uh, you know, it, it, Amazon on Kindle, they can track all of the highlights for any books that are purchased on Kindle. And uh, what's fascinating is I learned the most highlighted phrase ever on Amazon Kindle. And the next closest highlight is less than, is about half of of this one I'm about to share. And it's from book two, Catching Fire of the Hunger Games. And the phrase, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but it, it reads something like this. Because sometimes things happen to people that they're not prepared to deal with. Isn't that fascinating? Wow. That is the most highlighted phrase ever on Amazon Kindle. And when you unpack that, at least for me, you know, it speaks to humanity. It speaks to the fact that, hey, we're all doing our best. We all need help. We all need one another. It also speaks to the fact that, hey, we need to give grace. We need to give mercy. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt, regardless of what it is, because there's times when things happen that, you know, we don't show up as our best self. And uh, those moments aren't who we are. Mm-hmm. It's well, just a blip. I was also really struck as you were telling that story in the book that once you started in that new role, you realized that you needed more 
training and support than what you were getting. And mm-hmm. I, I, I know you talked about, okay, you had this realization that I, it, I can't just expect this is what I'm going to get. I can't necessarily just point the finger and say, well, it's them, mm-hmm. that I had to play a role in getting what I needed. And mm-hmm. it felt to me like that was a place where you were um, not just your own advocate, but really sort of um, your, your, your best supporter as well. I had to be, you know, at the time, initially the circumstance, like I had just been demoted and after the haze cleared a little bit for me, I thought it was a good, good idea to go back to the company and ask them to make an investment in, in me and send me to an executive education course. Well, I look back at it now and I'm like, well, I wouldn't have said yes to that. How did I expect them to say yes to that? And, you know, at the time, you know, that fired me up a little bit. And instead, you know, despite that, I chose to, you know, pay for the course myself and do it. And, um, you know, I realized that, you know, that is within my control. I have to make this investment in myself. I'm the one that's responsible for my own climb, not them. And uh, I took it upon myself. And, you know, you fast forward, uh, ultimately it paid off significant for me. Um, they ended up doing right and reimbursing me and it ends up being a great story. But as you unpack that, um, again, I had to focus on, okay, what was my contribution? What can I control? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. So uh, it, it's interesting. Cause like, if we fast forward a little bit, you know, you're, you're now a leader, you're a leader in your own company, um, that you, that you co-founded and you once again, like faced more, um, challenges where that gift of struggle really helped you out. And I know we're not going to have time today to talk about each of them, but there's two that I really want want us to touch on. You tell the story about someone who comes in to a new division to run it, and or sorry, to an existing division to run it, and says, okay, I need more staff, more resources to be able to do X, Y, or Z. And Mm -hmm. I found your response to really be not just ingenious, but gifted. Yeah. You know, the chapter you're talking about is, um, you know, more is not the answer. And and, yeah, I tell the story about uh, in the military where I was on a a desert rotation in the Mojave Desert. I did several of those. They were most fun. I never want to have again, Dolph. And uh, (laughs) You know, I had the experience with, uh, I call it the desert shower, where a makeshift shower for a soldier in uh, extreme desert conditions, you know, trying to take a shower with two gallons of water. And, you know, I'm not going to tell this story, but ultimately what I learned from that was that you can do more with less. And what I took away from that and as I was talking to this one specific leader during that chapter, when we take over a new division or we get a new opportunity, you know, we're excited for change. We're excited to share our ideas. We're excited to unpack everything and figure out how we can implement these new ideas. Well, those new ideas aren't, they're not free. And those ideas take investments. And instead, I wanted to figure out a way to help him see and have the right level of appreciation for what he already had. And so I encouraged him to take a pause on everything he was asking for. And instead I asked him to, Hey, go back, zoom out, 
take a look at everything that you do have and put time into that thinking of in, into that thoughtful process to then self-assess how much you're getting out of the things that you already have now. And if you can come back and tell me that you're maximizing every one of those things, well, then we can have a very productive and meaningful conversation about everything you want to invest in. But let's make sure that we're maximizing everything that you have now. And what it did is it prompted him to go back and, and do that exercise and then self-assess whether or not he was getting the most of what he already had. Because too often what we want to do is add more and more. And relatively uh, speaking, for most people, that's rarely the answer. That's actually more of uh, the recipe to overwhelm people even, you know, uh, even more so. Uh, and it's, that's hard to do. And editing is difficult and that's difficult in leadership. And, but I also believe that it, it's, it, it's a kind of courage that your people need you to have. So that was the essence of, of, of that learning lesson. And I have to share with you how I ended up using that in my own professional life. So my colleague Lexi and I, we, use a, we essentially use time tracking software and we track all of our time on, based on project. Sometimes that's a client project, but like email is a separate project. Um, finance and accounting is a separate project. So we kind of clock in and out and we're not 100% accurate, but we're, we're pretty good about it. And um, a, few, a little while ago, a few months ago, Lexi and I were looking at, um, at kind of like our, our, the time we were spending on different tasks. And we were asking ourselves, okay, you know, where, where would we cut so we could do something more? And one of the things I was shocked at is I was spending probably at the time three hours a day on email. And I was like, wow, you know, I got to figure out how to not spend so much time on email. And I will say I write much, much shorter emails now. And, and I kind of, and you know, I kind of ax emails a lot faster too. But now I spend 45 minutes to 60 minutes a day on email and suddenly I had two extra hours to do client work and deep thought work or, you know, go to the park and feed the ducks if that's what I really wanted to do. But it was interesting because it is kind of that sense of like, you know, more is not always the answer. It's not like, oh, yeah, you know, we need to bring someone on to do this project or, you know, we need to work an extra two hours every day. No, it just is not the answer. It's not the answer. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had some great, great mentors in my day and uh, they've taught me a lot and shared their wisdom with me. And, you know, a, a couple of them, they've in a sense taught me what the E in CEO stands for. And I'll do this exercise sometimes with entrepreneurs that I mentor. You know, I'll ask them, you know, <clears throat> what does the E in CEO stand for? And, you know, they'll give me that puzzled look like, oh, this is a test. And I do tell them, I said, yes, this is a test because I'm going to shift your thinking from this day forward. And, you know, I'll, they'll be like, well, it stands for, you know, chief executive officer. I said, well, that may be what the acronym uh, states, but what's the essence of it and what's it really mean? And I'll shift their thinking so that they'll leave that conversation knowing that the E in CEO stands for two things. The first one is encouragement. And the second is editing because your responsibility is to simplify, help people feel empowered, engaged, and trusted and simplify things for people. 
And very few times in our life do things get simple by adding. And you think about it, it is so much easier to add. That's why people do it. Real courage is editing and uh, pruning and looking at the things that you already have, making them stronger so that you can do more with it. Then you add, but not until you edit. I I love that because it's really easy to say yes to people. It's really, really easy for a moment. Yeah, Yeah. most of the time it's a band-aid. Yeah, I love that. The the last piece from your book that I was really hoping we would talk about um, is, and, and it was something that really resonated with me. You talk about the fact that not everyone's gonna summit and that that's okay. Yeah, that, um, that was a lesson that took me a while to learn, Dolph. You know, initially when, um, you know, when I started my entrepreneurial journey, I often call the first five years the most fun I never want to have again. And the second era, the second five years, you know, I call it the, the, uh, the bleep era, you know, the holy bleep era, because we had some good return on luck and we started growing. And then that third era, I call it the era of slow because I intentionally slowed down my organization. And the reason I slowed it down was primarily because, you know, when you want to build something, if you want to build something high, where does the foundation what do you need to do with the foundation? You need to dig it deep. Well, the foundation that I'd built up to that point wasn't very deep. So I knew it was only a matter of time if I kept building on a foundation that wasn't very deep, things were going to topple. So I slowed down in that third era and really started digging deep in the foundation. And one of the things that I discovered was that, you know, I was losing a lot of good people. And there was a lot of leadership mistakes made there. There was a lot of growth mistakes. But ultimately, in the end, a few things that I realized was that aside from having to learn how to build a stronger culture and select people better and do the necessary fundamentals from an institutional perspective, I had to change my mindset. The mindset that I used to have was, hey, if someone starts with me, then they need to, they need to end with me. And you know, I climb mountains and I love to climb. And rarely do you have a real mountaineering climb where everyone that starts to climb gets to the summit. And so it was through an actual climbing experience where only seven out of 12 of us made it that my mind started shifting thinking, you know what, those five that didn't make it to the summit, just because they didn't make it or because they weren't there at the top with us doesn't mean they didn't matter. And you know, I had a I had a a negative view on, uh, you know, when when people leave an organization as an entrepreneur, sometimes you you take it personal, and it's hard as a leader to lose someone after you've invested a lot of time into them, and that experience started shifting my mindset and like, no, that's not right. It's like they were a very important part of the climb, up until their story changed. And they needed to go climb another mountain because we're not all climbing the same mountain. And that's okay. Let's celebrate the time that we're together. Let's celebrate the time that we were on the same rope team and know that that was an integral part of the story. And when they go off to climb their new mountain, help them because that's what leadership's all about is continuing to help people, regardless of whether or not 
they're helping you, right? So do we want more for them or from them? So again, just a way to continually apply that, that leadership metaphor per se. And you, you have to realize in this day and age that, you know, people's lives are going to change. And, you know, especially with what we're going through right now, you know, uh, in April alone, Dolph, there were highest amount of people that have ever quit their jobs in one month this last April, because this, this storm that we're in, whatever God's plan is with this pandemic, it, it's encouraging people to rethink things, to look at things, look at their life, look at the careers. And it's only going to keep, uh, continue that way for, for leaders out there. So you have to realize not everyone will summit and celebrate it while they're there and help them when they're not. When I read that and heard that, for me, part of the takeaway was also, and it was, it's a real learning, and it's something I often have to just remind myself of, is that, and you say this, we don't all have the same mountain and we don't all have the same summit. And to just really be accepting of that, like, okay, this is my mountain, but, you know, someone else's mountain might be making a big move across the world or, you know, starting their own company, whatever it might be, that's their mountain. Yeah, it's a test of your character. It's a test of, you know, your friendship. It's a test of your grace. Like, respect their mountain and help them. Yeah, that's what life's all about. Just giving. Yeah, oh, man, I love that. That's awesome. Well, Bobby, I mentioned to you when we first jumped on Zoom that we ask everyone an off-the-map question. And you talk a good little bit about um, both climbing in the book, but also going on some hikes with your kids that are, you know, they it sounds like they might be not easy hikes, what might be thought of as moderate or difficult hikes, but still fun hikes with the kids. So since I know you like to do hiking and climbing, the perfect off-the-map question for you is, what's your favorite mountain or trail? Hands down, my favorite mountain is Mount Rainier in Washington. And my favorite trail is on Mount Rainier, and that is the trek from uh, Paradise, which is a starting point to Camp Muir, which is the highest point you can go before the technical climb starts. And, you know, I've taken my family there. I've taken my kids there. It's a day-long, enduring, very challenging, gut-testing, grit-tugging hike. And uh, every year, minus the pandemic, I take select climbers from my community. That's what I call employees at Populous Group. Uh, on this lesson-packed uh, hike to Camp Muir and uh, creates a peak moment for them that they never forget. That uh, I'm going to have to put that trail um, on my bucket list. I've done some hiking in the Andes and the Himalayas and have not done nearly enough in the U.S., so I'm totally going to put that trail on my bucket list. Yeah, it's a good one. Pack, pack a lunch and some candy bars, you'll burn them off. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, I obviously have to make sure that you know how to find Bobby and all of the things that he's doing. The first is open up Amazon or walk into your local bookstore and make sure you order a copy of The Gift of Struggle. Um, If you know me well, you might actually end up getting a copy as a gift. But if you don't know me well, please, please make sure you get a copy of this book. I will also share with you an added treat. Bobby did something that's somewhat unusual. He narrates his own Audible book. So if you are, if you prefer to listen to your books, you will actually hear Bobby tell the story of his book, and it's powerful. It's really powerful to hear him 
tell it to you while you're driving down the road or on the subway. Also, you can check him out at bobby-herrera.com and, of course, his company, populusgroup.com. And if you are on the subway or driving, not able to write those down, don't worry about it. Go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com. We'll have all those links in the show notes, as well as a link to purchase his book. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on. And God bless your mission, Dolph, and uh, all hail the underdogs. Appreciate it. All right, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode with Bobby Herrera, there are two more that I think you should consider. One is our bonus break number 34, 10 Toxic Leadership Traits You Should Avoid. We talked a lot today about how to be a great leader. Let's also try not to be a bad one. Also, check out episode 169, The Ripple Effect with Natasha Wallace. If you remember that one, that's where we actually talk about how the effect that you have as a leader throughout your entire organization and ways that changes that you make will have broad impacts on your organization. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And you know, the lawyers make me say this, I'm not an accountant, nor am I an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This episode is for informational purposes only, and surprise, should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If you find yourself in need of that, please find a qualified, licensed professional to help.